welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, well, let's look at Mark chapter 3. We're going verse by verse through Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We started about... Five months ago, I think it was. And uh, so we are, yeah, we're working our way. I don't know when we're going to finish. Um, we are going to take a little break in December, though. I, I feel like the Lord's leading us to do a, just a, a corporate um, sermon series through the month, month. Did I say December? I meant January. Through the month of January, the coming month. Uh, we're going to take a break in January. And um, we're going to talk about, we're going to go back to a sermon series we did on the, fir- the first year of City Chapel. So we're almost eight years old. This, by the way, is the sweater I wore on the first day of City Chapel. Just thought you might want to know that. It's very, yeah, it's very, uh, 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 it's the vintage, really far ahead of my time, but since starting City Chapel, I've been a little more poor, so I have to, so I've kind of caught up my wardrobe, because they are sharp, because they don't know who he is, and it's this constant question of who is Jesus, and so we just saw this happen, especially in Mark chapter 3, and now to wrap up Mark chapter 3, it says that his brothers and his sisters came, remember they were coming to get him because they said he's out of his mind, Uh, then his brothers and sisters came, standing outside, they sent to him, calling him, and a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are are outside seeking you, Uh, but he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? This is not to disrespect his mother or his brothers. This is to prove a point that Jesus has been trying to make that that there there are some important connections in this life, family being probably the most important, but then there's there's greater loyalties, even to family. And it is a loyalty to the word of God. He says, who are my brothers and sisters? And he looks around in a circle of those who sat about him and he said, here is my mother, here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my mother, my brother, and my, my sister. And so Jesus is, is proving a greater reality that there is something greater than, than your church family. There is something greater than your biological family. And it is the family of God, your spiritual family. That there is some connections of people who are following God together, who are growing in God. Those are the connections you really need to hold on to. And so now going on to chapter 4. Again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. This is to say that there were so many people that, that, that the only way Jesus could teach them safely was to get into a small boat and push off of the shore a little bit so that they couldn't, they couldn't overcrowd him. right? Because they didn't have boats and so they, they, literally the water is a bit of a barrier. It creates a bit of a moat. While he's preaching. And this is, uh, this is the scene that people are sitting along the coast, looking out at the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is there in a boat, and he's teaching from the boat. Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, and this is super interesting to me, this next verse, verse number three, is the first time that Mark is going to actually give us a glimpse of what Jesus was teaching. We've been through three chapters, uh, about a year and a half of Jesus' ministry, by the way. Uh, Jesus only ministered for three years on the earth. He was 30 years old, roughly, when he started his ministry. He's crucified roughly around the age of 33, which means he only, his ministry lasted three years. So we, City Chapel's already gone twice as long. (laughs) That can be discouraging, can it? (laughs) Jesus, Jesus did a lot in those three years, and he taught a lot. And if you want to know, you can look at Matthew, um, Luke, you can look at John even, but especially Matthew and Luke. I mean, Mark has skipped over so many moments of teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount. Mark just acted like it never happened. Mark has skipped over all kinds of teaching. And now in chapter four, he is giving verbatim the, the longest list of red words so far in the Gospel of Mark, which makes me really want to pay attention. Like what is so important that Mark says, okay, I've been saving Jesus' teachings until now. I'm going to drop something on you. This is what he taught. Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus said, listen, 
Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. The wayside is another word for the road. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it didn't have much earth or much dirt, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it scorched it, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some 30, some 60, and some. ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that, and he quotes Isaiah here, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now I know right off the bat that seems like Jesus is saying he doesn't want people to turn and be forgiven. Um, That's actually not what's happening. This quote from Isaiah is a part of the judgment of God on people who have already rejected him. So they've already had an opportunity to receive him. And now God is telling Isaiah, I'm going to send prophets to them and they're not going to understand what they're saying because they have already decided to reject me. And so this is what Jesus is doing here. He says to his disciples and those and those around him. So these are anyone, and this is key, anyone who is sitting in that crowd and wanted to know more about the parable, I believe could go up to Jesus and ask him about it. Say, hey, what's up with this? And Jesus says to those who are around him, he says, hey, because you're here asking me, because you're desiring more, I'm going to give you more. Does that make sense? Even today, people who decide to get more from God will in fact receive more from God. Because they decide to press in a little more. Because they, they ask questions. Hey, what is that all about? The, the, Jesus wasn't excluding people. Jesus was simply creating a veil that those who wanted to get on the inside could get on the inside. So this is, this is the way God works. He doesn't just automatically bring everybody into the same level. He, he invites you into these levels. And I believe this parable is an invitation. And those that heard the invitation and said, wait, I, 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 I sent something in that. That hit me. I need to know more about that. Those people received more. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, all right, you're, you're receiving more because you're asking, because you're sitting right here. And so then he goes on to explain the parable. And I'm going to read the explanation and then we're going to teach on it for just a minute. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? It's a good question. That's a good one, Jesus. I have no idea. Literally, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so now he gives the explanation. A parable, by the way, is a story where everything stands for something else. Uh, you've heard of Aesop's fables. You've heard of, it's, it usually has some kind of uh, moral lesson to it. Um, and, uh, but everything sort of stands for something else. When I first started preaching, I was uh, 12. I preached my first sermon, and, um, and it was for a Christmas play. The youth did a Christmas thing, and so they, they voted for me to preach. So then every Christmas after that in my small church, I was the preacher. Until I turned about 17, that's when my pastor asked me to start preaching like in big church on a regular like Sunday. And so he, he told me that the best way to learn how to preach is to start preaching the parables. And so he assigned a bunch of parables, and I, my first, I don't know, 15 sermons were all different parables from scripture. Turns out parables are really tricky to preach. (laughs) Turns out my pastor didn't know much about training people how to preach. He was a good man. He just, I don't think he knew a whole lot about preaching himself either. So he's just like, oh, this is probably easy and just try this. I was like, oh man. Because like, it's, it's, it's tricky. Like Jesus' own disciples after walking with him for a year and a half are like, what's up with this seed and sower and soil stuff. And Jesus has to explain it. So this is his explanation. I want you to look at this closely. The sower, he says, sows the word. 
So in other words, the seed in the story is a representation of the word. The word of God, probably. But it's interesting, Jesus never says who the sower is. <laughs> right off the bat, he's like, well, the sower, you know him. He sows the word. Now, hold on. My, my first step, I just because I'm, I'm, I'm an analytical thinker, I'm like, Jesus, you, wait a minute. If you're going to explain the parable, you got to tell how this whole thing starts. Because the whole parable, the story of a sower going out to sow seed, that's what starts this whole thing. But Jesus doesn't think it's that important. So apparently, I need to not think it's that important either. The sower sows the word. <laughs> and these, he says, are the ones by the wayside. So this is the first place where he sows the word of God. The word of God, the seed of the word of God falls on the wayside. Uh, or the road is a better way. Um, back in the day, back in Jesus' day, they didn't have pavement. They didn't have cement. They had dirt roads um, that, ha that were packed down and compacted over literally thousands of years. They used the same roads. Uh, Rome actually built kind of a different road system, so all roads would lead to Rome. But even they used roads within different uh, 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 countries and provinces. They said, okay, you already got that road. We'll leave it. And so for, I mean, literally thousands of years, traffic of human traffic, Traffic, animal traffic, chariots, horses, that kind of thing. So a whole lot of dirt, a whole lot of dung, and a whole lot of dirt, and a whole lot of mud, and a whole lot of... And so it's packed down, really, really packed down. And so Jesus said, all right, the first place that the word of God fell was on the road. And that's where the word is sown. When these people hear, the people who are the road people, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. See that, the, the hearts. So Jesus is explaining uh, the sower. We don't know who he is yet. Um, the seed is the word of God and the soil is the hearts of people. These are different kinds of soil. And so these, this particular hard heart, compacted heart, it has the word stolen from it by Satan. This is, by the way, the only one where Satan's mentioned. And I know we like to blame him for a lot of things, but turns out uh, he's about 25% of our problem. <laughs> These likewise are the ones sown on stony or rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it. So when the seed landed on them, it went into the soil, they received it, and it started growing right away. They received it with gladness. They were Pentecostal about it. They were excited. They shouted a little bit. They received the word. However, they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. And the, the word stops growing in their life. Now, he says, these are the ones sown among thorns. And so we have a thorny uh, heart, a thorny soil. They are the ones who hear the word, right? And apparently receive it. And it apparently grows. But in verse 19, it says that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things begin to enter in and choke the word. And so it becomes unfruitful. Verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those good hearts. Those are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some of them bear 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Again, Jesus does not say what the fruit is, and that annoys me. <laughs> the bookends of the parable he does not explain. <laughs> And that bothers me, but I guess he doesn't think it's that important. What is important, though, first off, is that the, the word of God is a seed, which means it's very small and insignificant looking. I believe Jesus is sharing this with these people because that's kind of what his ministry is. There's this massive amount of miracles, but underneath the miracles, there is a very small seed of the reality of who Jesus is. And the reason for him to have these miracles is to bring people in so that they might find out who he is. And unfortunately, three quarters of the people who are coming to him are not getting the message. They're not receiving who he is. And this is, once again, a theme of the Gospel of Mark. Mark says in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, that he is the Son of God. However, 
no humans echo that statement until the very end of Mark's gospel. Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 50 something. Jesus has been crucified. He's hanging on the cross and he's dead. And a Roman centurion looks up at the cross and says, surely this man is the son of God. Three years of miracles, three years of raising people from the dead, three years of casting out demons, three years of healing the sick and opening blind eyes and doing everything that he, and teaching the things that he taught, right? The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says earlier in, in Mark. Well, okay, so he can forgive sins. Wow. And yet somehow everyone still missed it except the very end of the gospel, a guy who's not even a Jew, certainly not a rabbi, isn't interested really in Jehovah in any way. The one who is responsible for crucifying Jesus, the centurion, Roman centurion, meaning he's in charge of what's happening here. That's the guy who recognizes who he is. Why? Because God is often shielding himself from the wise to reveal himself to the foolish. Because Mark and Peter were both missionaries to Rome and they planted a church in Rome. And it's interesting that the only one in the gospel of Mark who recognizes who Jesus is, is a Roman. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying to all those who felt left out, all those who have, whose sins are responsible for crucifying Jesus, that the door is open for you to realize who he is and to receive him. He is a seed. He's not a rabbi. He's a seed. He's not Jewish. He's a seed. He's not, he's not necessarily theological. He is, he's a seed. He's not found within the walls of churches. He has gone out, gone out to where people are. And, and I think the seed is the word, but Jesus is the word. So I think really what's happening is, my view is that the Father is sowing the word into the world. He's dropping the word in all of these different places. And many people are not recognizing who he is. They see the miracles, but they miss the seed because they expect God to be huge and big and cataclysmic and just monumental. And nowadays even, we are far more attracted to a movement than we are a seed far more attracted to crowds than we are conversations. And what I've found is that, it's the old saying, that, that big doors turn on small hinges, that, that oftentimes massive movements turn on, on small, seemingly insignificant conversations. And so the real power of the gospel is not even in the presentation of the word on Sunday morning always. Oftentimes it's in the conversations that surround that word when you go home at church Sunday afternoon. Oftentimes it's in the car with your kids. Oftentimes it's in the seemingly small things. And by the way, those seemingly small things have a tendency to grow. <laughs> and that is the word of God. That is Jesus. He doesn't just want us to receive him and then lock him away, put him in our back pocket and say, all right, I got that. I'm good to go. No, he wants to germinate and to cult be cultivated and to grow within your heart and within my heart. And this parable that Jesus is sharing, I believe that one, it's an explanation uh, to the reader because as we read this we look uh, Mark chapter 1 Jesus is baptized he comes up out of the water and the father said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased so heaven knows who he is and then later on uh, down I think it's in the beginning of chapter 2 there's a demon who cries out Jesus of Nazareth we know who you are you're the holy one of God so hell knows who he is but people seem to be awfully confused. And I think as a reader, you're kind of like, well, what's the confusion? It seems pretty clear based on the evidence that Mark is providing that Jesus is the Son of God. And now he's explaining to the reader, this is the confusion. The confusion is not the potency of the seed. The problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. And so this is explanation, but it's also a warning to the reader. Because congratulations, you got it. Received it. Congratulations, you can understand it. Wonderful. Now can you repent, as Isaiah says, and be saved? Now can you activate it? Now can you receive it into your heart? And so it's, a, it's, and it's also, it's a, it's, it's a little information, it's an explanation, it's a warning, but it's also an invitation. 
Because I believe that Jesus here in this original context, he's gathered his disciples and those who want to know more gathered around him. And he's saying, all right, guys, here's the deal. Here, because really when you look at these four soils, you have the one on the road, you have the one on the rocks, you have uh, the one with the thorns, and then you have the one that doesn't have any of that stuff. <laughs> That's really the progression. You have a progression of soils. And what Jesus is doing is he's laying out an invitation to take the next step, to get one step closer, one to get more growth in your life, to get deeper roots, to get higher shoots, and finally to get fruit. And this is what he's doing. He's inviting us as readers. And I believe he's inviting us at City Chapel. I think, I think we're stepping into a season where there's an invitation to maturity and to growth. And the key is the soil of our own heart. And so today I want to talk to you about four, really four hearts that Jesus came to transform. Four hearts that Jesus came to change and to renovate and to transform. The first heart is the one that's on the hard ground. And probably another way uh, to say it is just he came to transform hard hearts. Or maybe another way to say it is trampled hearts. Oftentimes people just write these folks off. You know, if you ever heard somebody preach on the parable, they kind of cover the hard ground real quick and then they step up into more interesting ground that has more potential. But the sower apparently thinks that the hard ground has as much potential as all the other grounds. It's very interesting to me. If I was sowing and I looked at an ancient road or even a modern road, I wouldn't waste much seed on the road. Because even if it does grow, as soon as it grows, a chariot's going to take it out or someone's going to step on it or whatever. And yet, and yet Jesus remarkably says that the grace of God is so great that he will even drop his son off to rest on ground that is so hard and been trampled, which means there's hope for all of us. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through or how many times you've been stepped on, there is hope for your heart. When uh, Ro and I were at uh, our former church in San Marcos years ago, there was a lady who came to us and she was in our small groups and she asked for like uh, extra counseling. And so we started meeting with her on Thursday nights. She would, she would cook us Mexican food and uh, we, would, we would give her some counseling. It was a good exchange. And um, one time, just as we were talking with her and meeting with her, I had a vision of this picture right here of the roadside, like the side of an old dirt mashed down road and a seed just laying on it. And, I, and this is what I shared with her. I said, look, I feel like you've been stepped on so many times, trampled on so many times that it's really hard for you to receive the love of God. You feel like you have to earn it. You feel like you have to do something and perform for him. You feel like you have to have some other reason other than just to open up and receive. And as we were, because as we were talking with her, we found that while the church she was at, we were at Promised Land San Marcos, was a good pretty healthy church. I mean, no church is perfect, but it was pretty good. It was pretty decent. But the church she had come from was, uh, I don't know, um, kind of like a gang. <laughs> you know, like they were the only ones going to heaven in all of the San Marcos, Texas, you know, central Texas area. Apparently, there are probably other Christians going to heaven somewhere, but not around here. Like this is the only church that you could possibly go to. And they would even call it the church, right? If you leave that church, you're not leaving a church, you're leaving the church. It's a really big deal. And it's weird. Like, it, it was kind of militaristic. Like, you had to keep proving your loyalty to leadership over and over and over again. Which is weird to me because if I am here as leadership, my job is to serve you. And I invert it and make your job to serve me. Make sure my parking spot is available. Make sure my stuff is carried and set up. Make sure I'm honored. I'm, I've just flipped church upside down. I've church flipped the kingdom of God upside down. And so basically what happened is she, she had been trampled. So some people get trampled in church. They've been stepped on in church. She was trampled in church. She was trampled by spiritual leaders who used her. This is what it means to be like, like a doormat. Like, 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 like you are in between where somebody is and where they want to go. So they will step on you to get to where they want to go. They will use you, take from you, right? Use you, use your gifts, use your talent, use your money or whatever it might be in order to help them do what they want. And so they, she had been trampled. Her and her husband both had been trampled at this church. 
And so a lot of our counseling was just undoing that and saying, that's not God. That was just that particular church, right? Humans sometimes make big mistakes and you happen to be in a place that was really unhealthy. But you know, but do you know why she got in the place that's really unhealthy? Because before she got saved, before she was in the church, she was in the world and she'd been trampled in the world. And what happens is you get trampled enough, you get used to being trampled. And it's easier to be trampled than it is to be vulnerable. So people are often attracted to militaristic, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, cult-like churches, where the theology is kind of okay, I guess, and the teaching is sort of all right, but at the end of the day, it's really about what you can do and how you can prove yourself to the leadership to make sure that you are worthy. And people are attracted to that because you can do that and stay surface. And this is what trampled hearts do. They keep everything at surface level. They don't soften their hearts at all. They don't open up to vulnerability. They don't trust. And so they enter into even more abusive relationships, trampling relationships, because those people who want, just want something from you, they're never going to ask you to receive anything. And so they'll never, they'll never push you out of your comfort zone. You become comfortable with being trampled. And being soft and open and transparent feels scary to you. So we might have a few trampled people at City. We might have a few trampled hearts here. And the good news is, is that there's tremendous hope for the trampled. The, the, beauty, the beauty is that Jesus describes his mission as just coming and resting on the trampled. I imagine Matthew had been trampled quite a bit. Used by the Romans in order to try to get money from the Jews. I wonder how many times Jesus passed by his little, his little booth. Just hanging out just hanging out. And man, so many of you, how many opportunities has Jesus given you? How many ways has he shown himself to you? And even when you just weren't ready to receive it and you were keeping him at arm's length and keeping him at surface level, he stays there. Now he can't stay there for very long because the bird, Satan, comes and steals it. And I know so many people, and this is why Jesus is saying, look, there's a timeline there's a window of opportunity and and if you sense uh the reality uh, greater realities of of jesus impressing on your life if you sense that now is the time because basically the soil can't fend off the birds right it can't like swat away the birds it can't do anything to scare the birds the only thing the soil can do is receive the seed that's what protects the seed from the birds and I've seen Satan swoop in there and steal, literally steal memories. Some people have had absolute experiences and then later on say, well, I don't really think I had that. <laughs> or that was probably just my emotions or something. Like it's so interesting. Satan, if given time, if you do not receive, and by receive, I mean get it deeper than surface. By receive, I mean get it deeper than what you're wearing, making sure you're wearing the right thing, making sure you're doing the right things. Because this is, what, this is what surface Christians will do. They'll make sure the outside looks good, but they won't allow the seed of the word of God, Jesus, to penetrate and get into their mind. In other words, like they'll, they'll do Jesus out here, but they'll, keep, they'll be running through their grocery list right now well pastor Harry's preaching they'll be like all right so this is the christmas list i don't know if i got that for my kid yet i'm gonna have to get on amazon and, and uh, but because in my mind i'm still like i haven't let jesus get that deep because it's vulnerable because it's scary because the last time i did that i was trampled and i was stepped on and i was used and i want to encourage you soften your heart we have all kinds of hard-hearted people here. Some, some of us, we get, uh, you know, judgmental of other churches. And so we never find a church to join because every church has got something wrong with it. <laughs> that's, 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 that's because you've probably been stepped on a few times. And uh, no church is perfect. But there is such a thing as godly spiritual leadership that you can submit under. Who's not going to use you? Who's not just going to take advantage of you? who's going to speak into your life and ask you to receive the love of God, ask you to believe again, ask you to trust again, ask you to hope again. And that's a good thing. It's an amazing thing. And so the softening of the heart, sometimes we become critics, right? And so nothing's ever quite good enough for us. Sometimes we just, we just fall in love with intellectualism. 
Here in Austin, there's a lot of like, like people who they fall in love with questions and they literally don't want answers. And so, so I'll talk to them and they'll ask me their questions. I'll give them their answers and they'll say, I don't like that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you because that's clearly the answer. You can make up something else if you want. But no, they, they literally want to live in question land. Because as long as things stay philosophical, they never become practical. Surface is philosophical. Let's just, let's, just, let's just discuss this. And then we'll discuss it later. And then we'll discuss it later. And then we'll discuss it later. And we'll never have to do anything. <laughs> I think uh, Keith Green lived through that age back in... He was, he was an actual hippie. Here in Austin, we have hipsters. But he was the OG back in the 70s. Keith Green was a real hippie. And uh, he came, he finally came to Jesus and he wrote this song called, I think it was called Soften Your Heart. And he said, you're so proud of saying you're a seeker, but why are you searching in the dark? You won't learn a thing until you soften your heart. And so it came because you can, you can be very prideful and very firm and very crusty and very hard as you, as, as, as you kind of judge this religion and that religion and that religion and that religion and I'll see what's true and I'll see what's right. But if you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to have to soften your heart and say, wait a minute, this is, this is more than I understand, but my understanding shouldn't limit truth. Right? There's some things I can't explain, but it doesn't mean it's not true. There's something, and not everything's a conspiracy either. <laughs> It's not all the government, all right? It's not. It's not all the Roman Catholic Church. Like they, they, They're not up there pulling all the strings. And even if they are, have you softened your heart to receive Jesus? Peter, by the way, who is like partly responsible for writing the Gospel of Mark, was a zealot. You know, zealots are, it doesn't just mean he was zealous. It means that he was a part of a group of people who were anti-Roman, who were, we need to overthrow these people. He had some strong opinions. You know how often Jesus spoke to that? Like, never. In fact, Jesus is out there paying taxes <laughs> to the Roman government. Why? Because it's not about that. It's not about the government that you live in. We all live in different messed up governments. Just take a trip on an airplane and you'll drop into a messed up government. <laughs> I mean, literally, every single one of them has some things messed up with them. Jesus isn't interested in that. He's asking, will you receive him? Because when the kingdom of God comes in your heart, you can be in Nazi Germany and still follow the king. And that kingdom can grow. We're so afraid of being on the wrong side of history. You don't even know what history is going to say about you. How do, how do you even know what the wrong or right side is? I mean, you're not writing history, bro. Your great-grandchildren are writing it. I have no idea what they're going to say about me. They're going to like my sweater, though. Other than that, I don't know what they're going to say about me. Because it'll be back in by then. It'll come back around. Everything comes back around, people. All right. So, so we have the hard ground. We have the trampled ground. But we also have the, the rocky heart. Not Rocky's heart. But, but yes, I suppose Rocky's heart as well. Uh, but the rocky heart, the stony heart. And this is the heart that receives the word, hears the word, receives Jesus, and is excited about it. And Jesus begins to grow. They begin to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. And that growth begins to take place. And the growth isn't just surface level. It's also below the surface. There are um, uh, root systems beginning to form. But Jesus says there's a problem. There are stones or rocks in the soil. Now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't say what the stones are in his parable. So again, a little bit annoying to me. <laughs> All I can tell is that the stones would be things which would be immovable. And certainly, uh, the root system of a plant could not go through the stone. And so it's blocking. Like within their heart, they have things that block the advancement of Jesus in their heart. So they receive him. They receive him not just on the surface level. They receive him on the interior. They honor him. They welcome him. The soil begins to give of its nutrients to him. There is some growth there, but then there is a block. And the, the, the level of blockage under the surface corresponds to the lack of growth above the surface. And so what, what are those blocks? Man, there's all kinds of blocks that we have. All kinds of rocks inside of the soil of our heart. By the way, the rocks were there before the seed landed. And so for many of you, before you came to Christ, 
throughout your life, probably from a very early age, you began developing sort of non-negotiables, non-negotiable beliefs, deeply rooted inner vows, deeply rooted beliefs that were non-negotiable. Things that you said with your mouth or were said over you that you received as true. And then you repeated it over and over and over and over again. And by the time Jesus came and rested on you, when you received him and he began to grow in your life, after a very short period of time, he began bumping up against some of those deeply held beliefs, those non-negotiables. And what happens to the rocky heart is the rocky heart stays with the rocks. It keeps its rocks And so all Jesus is saying is, I realize that as I land on you and as I begin penetrating the surface area of your life and I began getting deeper, I realize I'm going to bump up against some things that you've always believed were true. And I'm going to tell you that they're not true. And you're going to have to let go of what you've always believed. And not everybody will do that. And so it's a warning saying, hey guys, look, look, this is, this is, this is, this is important that, that Jesus is great and it's wonderful. There's growth happening. And then he bumps up against some deeply held beliefs. Uh, One time, I mean, this has happened several times at City Chapel, but one time I was preaching a sermon series that I thought was really great. Um, But anyway, I was preaching about how basically I was like, as as I look back, I was basically taking a quote from uh, Timothy Keller. Um, and I'm going to mess up his quote. So it's a paraphrase. Let me paraphrase Timothy Keller when he says the gospel is basically the fact that we are more sinful, far more sinful than we ever feared, but we're far more loved than we ever dreamed. That's the gospel. And so I was basically taking that and I was finding that throughout scripture. We are far more sinful than we ever feared and we're far more loved than we ever dreamed. And uh, somebody came up to us and said, you know, I'm not really enjoying this sermon series because, you know, all week long I battle enough with thoughts about my inferiority and how I'm not good enough. And then I come to church and Pastor Harry tells me I'm far more sinful than I ever (laughs) feared I was. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. (laughs) What's happening? Well, the gospel, the truth of God's word that we are actually all messed up is butting up against a deeply held belief that this person had, that they had to be positive with themselves. And if they weren't positive with themselves, they might fall into depression. They might fall into all kinds of issues, but they had to maintain positivity. Now, where did, where did that person get that? Who knows? It may be that they grew up with a father who never corrected them. And so their version of love is just constantly telling you good things. Even though scripture says that whom God loves, he corrects. Right? And actually good parents will also correct their children. Right? Because it shows love to give boundaries to people. So, you know, it's very helpful. But, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where this person got this belief. All I know is that as I'm just walking, like, you know, like through the daisies of this great word of God, like they're getting, it, it's bumping up against some rocks in their heart. And you're like, hey, that happened to me last Sunday. Yeah, good. That's good. It's really good. It's really great when, when you allow God to get deep enough to run into some of these things. Because some people just stay surface and they never realize that there is no growth in their life. They're just glad they got a seed and hallelujah, we got a seed for the next six days. And then the church on Sunday to get it back again. And yet some of us have re- received him. We've softened our hearts. And then we've found that he doesn't just want to come in. He also wants to take over. <laughs> And now he's running into deeply held beliefs. He's running into labels that our society has slapped on us and we've grabbed a hold of. So many of our deeply held beliefs are just simply uh, societal labels that have been slapped on us and we've grabbed a hold of. Sometimes the label has to do with the color of our skin, that because of the color of our skin, we'll never be economic, have this economic level. Or we'll never be intelligent enough because of the, because of the side of the tracks that we grew up on. Now, the, now our society, our, the world will throw all kinds of labels on you. And some of them we don't allow to stick because we're like, oh, that's just silly. I'm not going to receive that. But some of them hit really deep, probably because they were put on us by people that we trusted. And we've received those labels. And every morning we wake up with those labels and we repeat those labels time and time again to ourselves. I'm an ex-con. That's a label. 
but it doesn't define who you are. But if you receive it and you start making excuses for what you cannot do for God or share about God with other people or be used by God because of this thing in your past, then you're allowing that label to seep into your identity. And that becomes a rock right in the middle of the soil of your heart. And it'll block the word of God because God doesn't call you an ex-con. <laughs> an ex-convict, that's what I'm talking about. People have been to jail. All right, we got a few of those folks here in City Chapel. God doesn't call you that. God doesn't call you an alcoholic. I know AA still calls you that 20 years later, but God doesn't call you that. <clears throat> and while I, I understand AA, they're trying to help you not go into bars. That's good. It's a good thing, right? <clears throat> but at the same time, it, it really can mess with your identity if you never rise above the level of your past. Just because you did something one time or 10 times does not make it who you are now. And the word of God will brush up against these deeply held beliefs. Well, I can't do that because I'm this. Really, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were that? I haven't said that. I ha God hasn't said that to you. The word isn't saying that to you. The seed that is planted in your heart is trying to actually break through that. It, the, the, Jesus acts as if you are brand new. And that seed is acting as if you are completely brand new. And it's only these deeply held beliefs that block him. It's not the soil, it's not the problem. It's the rocks. You gotta lose the rocks. <laughs> you gotta lose the, lose the rocks. First Corinthians, I do have this passage on the screen. First Corinthians uh, chapter 6 deals with, with this. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, some of us have been that, nor idolaters. That is people who worship idols. And in America, we got a lot of those. So most of us have been that for sure. Uh, nor adulterers, some of us have been that. Nor men who practice homosexuality, some of us have been that. Nor thieves, some of us have been that. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. We got some swindlers in here. People used to, ladies used to come in and just leave their purses unattended in city chapel. And I said, eh, I don't know about that. Because we're trying to reach swindlers. We're welcoming them in. Because we believe that, that just because they are a swindler or greedy or thieves doesn't mean they always will be. Because this is what it says. These guys will not, these people, men and women, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You are no longer that. And if we act as if we are, if we accept the label that our culture puts on us, man, we miss. We, the labels limit us. They limit the growth that we can have and they limit the depth that the Word of God can have in our lives. So lose the rock, lose the label. <laughs> Get rid of non-negotiable. Here's, here's, here's a good plan. Nothing is off the table to Jesus. Everything is negotiable to him. Not to some pastor, not to some church, but to Jesus, to the word of God. And any pastor who asks you to not look at the word of God and just trust him, don't, don't do it. <laughs> Because, 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 we, because we, we, we all are coming under the word of God. We have no, no non-negotiables. We have no deeply held beliefs that are not open to his questioning. And then thirdly, you have the thorny ground, or I, I would probably say the busy ground. And I think this is where most American Christians just kind of live. We live in a place where we've received Jesus, He's grown roots into our life. Many of us have gotten rid of some rocks. We've lost some of the labels. We're, we're believing the label that he puts on us. We are children of God. And there's great growth there. However, there's also other things growing. <laughs> we got Jesus and our relationship with him is growing and it's wonderful. And then there's other things growing. Now, Jesus described these other things as thorns, which sounds kind of harsh. Thorns are sharp. They'll cut you. Nobody likes thorns. 
It's like fire ants of the ancient world, you know? You don't like thorns. You don't want to come across thorns. It's not nice. But it's interesting what Jesus describes as thorns when he goes on to say what the thorns are. Oh, it's things like other desires. That doesn't seem so bad, Lord. I mean, that's not... It's not, it's not like the list, not like the list we just read, right? Like, I mean, come on, like we're talking stealing and stuff. No, no, just other desires, competing desires, desires that compete with your desire for God. So other desires are fine, but when those other desires grow at the same rate as Jesus grows in your life, hmm, now that's dangerous. Well, what is it dangerous to? What does it do? Well, it reaches around the growth that has happened and it chokes out the growth. If you feel like you're constantly growing and never producing, if you feel like you're constantly learning and never really coming to the knowledge of the truth, you may have some thorns in your heart. You may have some other competing desires that while, yes, you want to serve God with everything, you also really want this over here. And these are probably good things like your family, like your retirement, like things that the world just says, man, those are non-negotiable. That's important. You need to make sure that you get football every Sunday afternoon. Come on, somebody. It's it's important. I'm preaching to myself right now. That's what I'm preaching to myself. It's competing desires. It's competing desires to allowing the word of God to grow richly in your life. And some of us, like, it's like, okay, we feel like God's telling us to do this, but if I do this, then I won't be able to do that. That's a competing desire. That's a thorn. And Jesus calls it for what it is. It is, it is, it is something that is dangerous, that is sharp, that is pointed, that is vicious. And that ultimately will choke what God's doing in your life. And what happens is you will live constantly growing in your relationship with Christ, but never having fruit. Which brings me to the final, the final soil, which is the heart that bears fruit. The good heart, I guess, what Jesus calls it. The good ground. Or maybe the blessed heart. The heart that has received Jesus. By the way, this heart is the the end result of each of these other hearts dealing with their issues. So no matter what heart you are today, you can be here. Because this heart probably was hard at one point. And it became soft and it received, it trusted and believed in Jesus. And then as Jesus started to permeate its life and its, and its thinking and its desires and its plans, it butted up against some deeply held beliefs. But instead of holding to those beliefs, this heart let go of those beliefs and allowed Jesus's root system to entangle every part of the inner life. Because that's what root systems do. After a while, you can't tell the difference between the root and the soil. Have you ever tried to pull up a plant that's really... Oh man, it's like, it's tough. You end up taking a huge clump of dirt. Literally, it's just because it, it entangles itself. This, by the way, is what the root of bitterness does which is why it's so hard to forgive because you find that after five years that root of bitterness didn't just stay in one spot (laughs) it went over here and it went over there and it affected this and it affected that and as you start to pull at it oh my goodness it's so painful because it literally rips part of your heart out well that's the negative way of saying what Jesus wants to do he wants to come in and permeate your heart and the good news is you never have to rip him out And so he stays permanently entangled with your emotions, entangled with your desires, entangled with your, with your, your plans for the future, entangled with all of your life. uh, Micah and I were watching a YouTube show the other day and it was like this thing where it's like, you only have 24 hours to live. They found some people and it's probably staged, but whatever. They found some people and they said, they said, we'll give you, pretend you got 24 hours to live. We're going to give you, I think it was a hundred dollars a minute. 
I, th- I think it's what they were going to give them. And so, and so they could spend it on whatever they wanted, but they had to wait a certain time to b- save up. It was going to be a total of like 350000 whatever. I'm bad at math, but whatever it was, it was a lot of money. And Micah was kind of fascinated because they got, they, got, they got, it was all men, which I thought was interesting. They had a young guy who was like 15. They had like a middle-aged guy who was like 30 or something. Then they had an older guy who was like in his 50s or 60s. And uh, they all chose to do different things. The, the kid was completely stupid. He went right to GameStop and got like three 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 playstation fives like i was like what are you going to do with three anyway you can't like you're going to die in 24 hours you can't take it with you but anyway the older guys were more about experiences the younger guys are more about things go figure and um they were just you know it was kind of fascinating and so and so i asked micah i'm like what would you do with you know three hundred fifty thousand dollars and you know 24 hours to live and so he mentioned a couple things and he's like what would you do and i said man i Honestly, I think I would try to just go around City Chapel and meet with everybody and make sure that they know God, that they love God, and that they're ready to follow God. And then I'd spend the rest of time with you guys and make sure you know God and you love God and follow God. I'd take the 350, give it to some missionaries somewhere. I don't need it. I don't know. Maybe a building fund for City Chapel. Come on, somebody. I do, I'd like, I want to, because after I die, something else goes on. That's what, it, that's, that's what fruitfulness is about. When Jesus says that the blessed heart produces fruit, what he means is it reproduces itself. Because, uh, you know, in the tw- 21st century, our, my relationship, personally, my relationship with fruit is uh, that of a consumer. I go to H-E-B, I buy some fruit. I eat the fruit, I throw away the nasty center... Like, like an apple, right? So you eat the apple. It's really good. You don't eat the nasty center. My grandma used to eat the center. I don't know why. I don't know what kind of poverty she grew up in, but it's rough, man. It's some real rough times in the depression era. But the center, but the center is where the seeds are. And if you are a tree, your purpose is not, you're not H-E-B. You're not trying to give consumerism to people so they can have something tasty. You're trying to reproduce yourself. And so you place a bunch of seeds within tasty fruit so that people like Harry will go pick it, eat it, and then toss it to the side. And then where those seeds land, those seeds can reproduce. And so the whole point of this fruit thing is not about tastiness. It's not about enjoyment. It's about reproducing yourself so that after you die, the kingdom of God carries on. So that when you're gone and everything that you owned is given back to the government or your kids or whoever wants to fight for it, after all of that is is done, that there is something that is continuing after you. And that's the kind of significance that Jesus is offering. He says, look, when I come into a heart, I don't just revolutionize it. I don't just entangle myself with it, but my entanglement with it produces something so that it actually reproduces itself. I was talking to somebody recently and they, uh, the past little while, they haven't been able to come to church very often because they've been traveling so much. You know, I, I try to meet with those people because they, they don't meet with me here, so I have to go track them down. And, um, you know, or just call them, text them, and see how things are going. Because I'm still their pastor, and I still care about where they're at. And we were talking, and, uh, you know, they're kind of apologizing for not being here very often. And I said, look, I, I understand. There's some jobs that you just, you're busy on Sunday. You're not able to be here. It makes sense. But what's really awesome is that I said, in a way, you are here. Because every, every month when you give, or I don't know how often they give, but like every time you give financially, you are turning on the lights, you are uh, paying salaries, you are helping with, with toys for, for, for the community and, and the blow up obstacle course. I don't know why I have a hard time saying obstacle course, but you know, like, you, so in other words, like your work is not just about you. That's what giving financially to God is. It's saying, I don't want my nine to five or in this person's case, it's like nine to nine. Anyway, I don't want, I don't want that to be just about me and my kingdom. I don't want that to just be about me and my, my, my 401k, me and my house, me and my family. I want that to be about the kingdom of God. And so when I give from everything that I'm spending so much time making, then as I spend that time, it's literally I'm spending time, yes, 
for my spouse, yes, for uh, 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 our house and our, our future, but also for the kingdom of God. So that if I died today, parts of me would be reproduced and would, move, would live on. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to fruit, bearing fruit. That is, that is reproducing yourself in various ways. What happens when Jesus is entangled in a life, you end up, like Jesus tells the parable, he says, look, at the end of the age, God will, the father will separate the sheep from the goats. And then he'll say to the goats, look, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And then they're going to be sent away. And then he'll turn to the sheep and he'll say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And the sheep will say, but when were you hungry? I don't remember feeding Jesus. I was, I was naked and you clothed me. I don't remember clothing you. I was, I was in prison and you visited me. I definitely didn't visit Jesus in jail. <laughs> I visited some other people, but not Jesus. And that's where Jesus said, as much as you've done it to the least of these. In other words, as I entangled myself in your life, you were accidentally doing things that were producing fruit. Fruit, you don't try to produce fruit. You don't wake, the tree doesn't wake up one day and say, all right, this is the day we're going to produce fruit. Darn it, we're going to do it. Let's get this thing going down there. Get the sap going. Let's come on, sun. Let's get going. Rain, we need some of that. Like, no. As the tree is healthy, it all by itself produces fruit. It accidentally produces fruit. And that's the kind of life Jesus wants us to have. A life that almost accidentally blesses people, encourages people, brings people into fellowship with Jesus. You don't wake up and say, all right, today's the day I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus. No, you're actually just talking to somebody about Jesus. And you go home and you're like, man, I really hope that seed works out. <laughs> I really hope that connects with them. I really hope that blesses them. And so whatever soil you are, whatever... I, I also find it encouraging that when Jesus wants to talk about the human heart, he uses soil. He could have used bricks. <laughs> That's probably what I would use. They had bricks back in the day. He could have used cement. He could have used steel. He could have used stones. He could have used any kind of analogy. Instead, he uses dirt. Do you know how malleable dirt is? Literally pour some water on it, and now it's mud. <laughs> so whatever state you're in right now is not the, that you walked in with is not the state you have to walk out with. Literally, Jesus says... You're like a clump of dirt. And, I, and God can do so much. He says, I can do so much with this bit of dirt. And so, Father, right now, I just pray that from people watching or people here in the room, pray for those trampled hearts. Lord, that we would soften our hearts and believe again and trust you. Not man, but you. We would believe you have our best interest at heart. You were there when we were trampled. And you grieve that and you hurt with us and you mourn with us. We pray that we would soften our hearts again, believe again, trust again. We pray for those hearts that are a little rocky, <laughs> got some deeply held beliefs and you're rubbing up against those and you're asking us to deny those and lay those aside. I pray that you would strengthen us to do that. Empower us by your grace to do that. We can't do that in ourselves. We need your grace. We open up ourselves to you. No secret rooms, no off limits. The reason I think why we have off limits is because we just don't trust you. And so Lord, we choose to trust you. We choose to believe that you are good and that all of your pushing up against these beliefs is to free us from these things that are limiting us. We choose to receive the label of heaven that if we believe and if we repent that we are children of the Most High God. We are not what we have done. We are not what the world says we are. We are children of God. There is, what does the scripture say? There is neither Jew nor Greek. Those are labels. Within the kingdom of God, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither rich nor poor. Those are labels. There is neither male nor female. Those are labels, gender. But we are children of God. This is our label. This is our identity.
We don't grab a hold of any other identity other than the word of God. We are children of the most high God. And finally, Lord, for those hearts that are busy, a lot of things growing there. A lot of things growing. A lot of desires, a lot of stuff that we're working on. Lord, may we place you first in our lives. First and foremost. As soon as we see other desires beginning to take over, Lord, may we (laughs) cut those down. Because we want a life that bears fruit. Maybe that's why Jesus didn't say who the sower was. Because the first sower, of course, is God. But then these trees start sowing. So the sower is us. Sower is everyone who receives the word, lets it grow in them, and lets it produce fruit. And we pray for a great harvest in South Austin, Buda, Kyle, San Marcos area, this whole corridor. We pray for a great harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys have a great week this week. Join us for our little Christmas uh, party on Wednesday night, if you like. Um, We're not going to have City Chapel University this week because we're going to be doing a white elephant thing. You're dismissed. Have a great, have a great week.